Hello, this is Intellicast. We're back. It's season four, episode one. And this was a little bit different than normal, right, Brian? That's right. No intro music. No intro music. We'll get into that in a second. This episode, as always. By the way, can you believe this is season four? I cannot. Uh, it feels like we just started this. That's crazy. Um, and we couldn't do it without our listeners. So we'll kick off 2021 by thank, 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 thanking the listeners and all the feedback we get. I, I enjoy it. I can't believe that I'm doing this for the fourth year. I thought we'd do three episodes and be done with it. But, man, we're probably getting close to over 150 episodes probably, right? Yeah, we're, we're one of the old timers now. Yeah. Award-winning and honorable mention winning podcast. We on we made the Mike Carroll best podcast of the year um, two years in a row. What's and on two of his lists? Two of his lists. Thankfully, we had the pub public's discussion last year, which will probably continue this year. But this episode, as always, brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can reach us at Intellicast at emi-rs.com. Follow us on Twitter at emi underscore research. Or in Telecast One, you can leave a voicemail. You can text us. That's 513-401-5463. You might want to write those down because we need your feedback, right? That's right. Yeah. No song. Um, well, we well maybe we should kick off this episode with it's basically big news, an international incident. Um, it's all over the news that you and I can't figure out an intro song, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, there's nothing else going on. So right. no other international incidents going on. So maybe I'll try to tell the story. And you can, you kind of pepper in Brian. Um, we decided, you know, we'd switch it into our music each year. Last year was Prince 1999, which I think was the obvious choice. And this year I came up with about 10 to 15 options. And Brian, you came up with like seven or eight options. We clearly have different tastes in music, first of all. And yeah. so we, we couldn't really pick from there. And so we decided to open up to EMI's company meeting, and we played, I don't know how many songs you played, probably close to 15? Yeah, I think it was about 16 or 17, yeah. Yeah, we played clips of them, had people vote, and I think it was a little polarizing, and we narrowed it down, and we got it down to, we really narrowed it down to two songs. That's where we need your help, right? That's, that is right, yes. You and I took the top ones, and we eliminated a couple and went with the two that both of us could live with. <laughs> All right. So um, the two, I'll just say the two songs. Brian will play them here in a second. And we want your feedback. We want to know what song do you not mind listening to eight to ten seconds of for every podcast? Um, you'll, you're going to know pretty quickly which one's his, which one's mine. Um, I don't really care at this point because the listeners will choose and I don't listen to the podcast anyway. Brian honestly should probably choose it since he actually has to listen to the music. So the, the songs are Walk This Way, the version with Aerosmith and Run DMC, and Papa Was a Rolling Stone uh, from The Temptations. Do you want to play them, Brian, or add anything? Yeah, we'll start off. We'll play uh, Run DMC and Aerosmith, Walk This Way. Okay. That's that's a pretty good intro. Um, yeah. let's, let's play the other one, then we'll talk about it. Okay. Here's Temptations, Papa Was a Rolling Stone. Well, first off, good job on the 
the part you picked on the Papa was a Rolling Stone, you probably had about 4,000 options since it's like a 12-minute song, mostly instrumental. You got the horns in it. Um, yeah, I, I tried to find a spot that's had a good starting point and an ending point that was a good 10, 12 seconds. You didn't stack the deck. So Brian prefers Walk This Way. I prefer Papa was a Rolling Stone. What do you want to start on our – let's talk about it. We're going to bias people, but that's okay, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So my goal was trying to find one, and you cut if the the team at EMI understood the ones all I picked because I was trying to find something that would bring some energy to the start of the podcast. So a lot of mine are, and I like classic rock, and I think all seven of mine were classic rock related. And this was part of the least classic rock related, <laughs> right? Yeah, the ones you picked, yeah, because it's a remake, which is my big negative of it is that it's it's kind of a, I almost think this is kind of a gimmick Walk This Way is a little bit of a gimmick song because of the Aerosmith Run DMC collaboration that's probably a little harsh because it is kind of a classic song but it, it almost feels like too easy see I think it is a classic song I think it might be even maybe more well known than probably the original yes yes but doesn't mean it's a better song. See, I like the mixes of musical genres. It, yeah. it, it like think back. This this kind of led into what one of the bigger collaborations in like the mid two thousands of like Lincoln Park and Jay Z. If you remember that mashup, like yeah, then it became all, crazy. Yeah, they did a few others I think with MTV, but none was as big as that because like every song was great. Well. Ebony and Ivory, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> that was a, that wasn't really the same, but yeah, I get your point. Um, okay, I'm not I'm not completely against that, but then Papa was a Rolling Stone, which was probably my sixth favorite on my list that I sent. Um, I also like classic rock, but I think our love of classic rock is a little bit different. Cut mine is more of like easy listening kind of classic rock. Yours is a little bit more power, maybe classic yep. rock. Yeah, and I tried to avoid like the ACDCs and that yeah. kind of stuff. The the stuff you hear at all like big movies because that that would be easy to do like Back in Black or anything like that. But yeah, but I love this song. I think that's a good intro. It is a little soft. I get you that. I wish we could play instead of like an eight to ten second intro, just play like the eleven minute version of it. Um, but it's a beautiful song. I think it's a good intro. But I think we want to hear from the people. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the Walk This Way won our internal vote. Pretty handily. Correct. Yeah, it had almost double the votes of any one, any any other one. I don't know. I don't think we should discuss the other songs because we might want to save them. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Well, please email us in telecast at emi-rs.com. Follow us on Twitter and comment there, EMI underscore research or IntelliCast1 on Twitter. Uh, leave us a text, 513-401-5463. And hopefully next week we'll have different intro music. Or maybe we'll just do this cold open every week. Who knows? Yeah, I think we'll know which one is picked. You'll know as soon as you start listening to this episode too. So. Okay. But yeah, I, we want the listeners to help us here. Yes. Um, anything else we want to talk about that? No, I think that covered a good – I think that covered it. I mean, we went from 20-some-odd songs down to two. We got it down pretty good. Yeah, in like, in like 48 hours, which, you know, wasn't that much. I did listen to every song, 
And some of the songs I played all the way through. I was in a bad mood when I came back to work. I think this was Monday morning. And um, I was in a bad mood because I hadn't worked in two weeks. And just all kinds of just normal back to work kind of stuff was bothering me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to spend my lunch hour doing nothing but listening to intro music. And that's what I did to get myself kind of back in a good mood. And that's what kind of started this out. Yeah. Uh, I listened to all of yours. Intern Emma helped help pull these ones that on my list together. Yeah. We, I, my list was longer and we narrowed it down to those ones. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. We had a couple we agreed on, but then after discussing what we wanted to get out of it, we realized a couple probably should have been cut. So, yeah. Yeah. We do need a little bit of energy. Like you don't want to log into a podcast and get bad, right? <laughs> right. So that's probably a good point. That's why we have a team. That's right. Okay, cool. Well, Let's move on. Um, and please reach out to us. We'd love to hear your feedback. Anything. If you don't like either of those songs, tell us. Or you have a better song, tell us. We probably won't pick it because we've already loaded this up into our system. But we'd love to any feedback at all. Yeah. Uh, do you want to move on to our only big piece of market research news for this week? Yes. All right. Uh, this kind of came out uh, right around, what was it, I think, between Christmas and New Year's. Yes. So when you and I were both taking a little time off to rest and recuperate, uh, Qualtrics filed for a new IPO after being spun off from SAP. The IPO has given Qualtrics a value of $14 billion. Yeah. I mean, what? how crazy is that? I mean, we were thinking that the $8 billion was a crazy number. Yeah. And they've... They're going to basically double their investment, um, which is a lot of money when you're talking billions of dollars. Um, it's it's crazy, um, especially after the year we had in 2020 and um, the fact that Qualtrics is still not making a profit, has not made a profit, but is valuation at that many billion dollars is really crazy to me and gives me a lot of hope for the future of insights and future of marketing research um, and the direction we're going as people see the value of this. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Um, it thinks maybe, I think that maybe we should sell to SAP for like two years right. and then, <laughs> then spin back out. Yeah. Because apparently we double our valuation by doing that. What a great, and then, you know, Ryan Smith, who's just a great guy, he's done a lot for the industry and humanity with his charity, you know, bought the Utah Jazz earlier this year. Yeah. Um, and so what crazy things going on in Utah. Um, so, I mean, I'm super happy for the Qualtrics people. We know a lot of people that work there and we work with them on, you know, they have a lot of surveys and we provide sample to a lot of those surveys. So, um, 14 billions, a lot of billions, and um, we'll see how this hap how this goes when they IPO. But um, a lot of people are going to be making some money and hopefully investing that money in industry and starting new companies and getting more features because we can always use more benefits in marketing research and insights, especially as the industry is probably shifting a slight bit. Yeah. I wonder if the large increase in the valuation isn't just because it was spun off from SAP, but for those two years that they're more integrated into all of those SAP systems and services that they normally offer. So now it's more of an easy integration like, oh, well, 
because I think that was the whole reason they bought them in the first place was kind of that end-to-end piece. Okay, yeah, you need your your overall data. Well, now Qualtrics is a component of that, but now it's spun it back off. You're still It still can be a component of that, and it's an easy yeah. partnership now. Yeah, I wonder if this was their plan, was to kind of buy it, integrate it, leverage it, resell it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand that world of like IPOs and acquisitions and that that's, that's a whole nother, that's way out of my pay grade. And, um, but it's still, it's astounding what's happening. Yeah. That, that was really our, the big market research news story that's happened over the last couple of weeks. It's been kind of quiet. Yeah. Very quiet. I think we'll see stuff soon. That's not me scooping anything. I just, we haven't had a lot of news lately. And, you know, we're due for some news. <laughs> That and I think a lot of people were off those two weeks, just not even just in market research, just people in general, just because yeah. of how Christmas and New Year's fell this year. Like, you know what? Let's take the two weeks. Yeah. It's been 2020 was a year, let's call yeah. it. If you want good news, you don't bury it in between Christmas and New Year's. You want to kind of announce it in early January when people are back to work and can think about it, right? Right. Yeah. I did, if you want to move on, want to talk about kind of a summary of 2020. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should preface it as kind of the top, kind of our summary of stories from 2020 or storylines in the market research industry. Because yes, and this may be the only time that I reflect on 2020, at least in the short term. Maybe years from now, I'll reflect on 2020, which was probably the worst year of my life and probably the worst years of a lot of people's lives. Um, But in terms of marketing research. I kind of came up with a few top stories of 2020. Um, the first one was kind of how we handle the pandemic as an industry. I think that the industry and companies and the organizations really kind of rallied around each other. And I was, I'm looking back on it. I'm really proud of what happened because it was tough, especially April, May, June, July was really tough for the industry. We've talked about it before, but kudos to a lot of the organizations, including Insights Association, primarily Insights Association, but also SMR, and um, we're probably missing out a ton, Wire, who really stepped up in terms of bringing people together. Because we knew that it was a tough time, revenues were down, people weren't spending money, it was chaos, we weren't sure what was going to happen, personally or professionally, and there were layoffs, people were scared, but a lot of people really stepped up and provided confidence and perspective. I think that's one of the keys is perspective on what was going on at the time. And when we had those meetings every Friday uh, with Insights Association, we had internal meetings every week. Um, I'm sure every company did. Every company went through some tough patch last year. And I think we've emerged from it overall, but I'm really proud of the, how the industry kind of stepped up. Is, do you agree with that, Brian? <laughs> I would agree. To kind of bounce off it a little bit, I would. It's a, more of like how individual companies addressed it as well. Yes. So you have them instead of like in a normal downturn. Okay, we're going to cut this amount and lay off these people because it's just a normal downturn. Where we saw a lot of companies doing whatever they could to keep people, making sure people were still had a job. Whether hey, unfortunately, it was. It may have been furloughs or things like that, but they were companies were doing whatever they had to to make sure that they were not cutting people. And if they had to cut people, it was literally the last resort. Yeah, great point. 
I should have said that too. Awesome point. Thank you. I know that some people that were let go have since been rehired. I know that there was a rush to hire people that have been let go. Um, there was a big collaboration on LinkedIn about, hey, here are, the, here are the people looking for a job and really helping each other out. And, in a, you know, we're, most of us work at for-profit companies. And the fact that we're helping each other out and helping individuals out. I mean, marketing research is really a big family in some ways. We compete against each other. Uh, but it's a small industry, and maybe that's one reason we kind of rallied around it, both at the company individual level, is that, you know, the people that are your competitors today might be your boss tomorrow, might be your client the next day, might be your vendor or partner later, um, or you're their boss later. I mean, it's very incestuous, and a lot of people stay in this industry forever. And so uh, people really stepped up and helped out their competitors in many ways. And so... Uh, Companies did so many things. I talked to some CEOs as part of the, a lot of the stuff that I do that <clears throat> really struggled on how to keep people employed and cut cut everything they could other than people, people's livelihoods. And yeah, you're 100% right. That's something we should certainly apply. Yeah. And I know a lot of them were under a lot of stress. It just takes me back to that conversation we had with Colson yep. early on where he saw a lot of his stuff way, way down and he kind of really talked about that like hey we're doing everything we can yep. to keep everybody and i think he's they've all they've bounced back now have they not yeah they've bounced back he's i mean he's a great guy and that's colton steber who's um who was the president of our chapter friends association and um smart guy and um yeah they did a ton i think they're bouncing back and so yeah i'm proud of him and proud of that company and proud of a lot of companies and proud of working in this industry man so positive yeah. I think the other piece, too, in terms of how it was responded was the sharing of information. Yep. Of Because we saw the giant change in consumer behavior that happened almost literally overnight, where you saw people that were forced. It wasn't by a lot of it wasn't by choice. It was forced like, OK, you're locked at home. OK, well, my shopping habits are all changed. What I'm going to buy is changed because maybe I'm working on less income or I need to, I have different needs now because my kids are at home and I'm trying to work and teach and everything else. So I love that multiple organizations were putting out that information for free. Like, Hey, here we we're doing this study and you, it seemed to be a new one coming out every couple days for the be like in that April, May time frame, even through like September, you would still yeah. see stuff coming out. And no one said, hey, you gotta pay for this. It's here, this is out because this is the this is for the good of not only market research, but for like business itself. Like we all yeah. need to understand this. Yeah, great point that I mean directions research did stuff, insights association did stuff, SMR, um, Ipsos um, lots, I'm missing out a million companies that put out free content to get us through this and trying to, I mean, we're in insights and we're trying at, at its core, we're trying to understand people's attitudes and behaviors so that brands can make smart business decisions. And if those are shifting, we have to step up and advise our clients. And that's what happened. And that continues to happen as we're still, I mean, attitudes and behaviors are shifting constantly. Um, I think today is very different than six months ago, which was obviously very different than six months before that. Um, 
So it's a constant shift. So our industry is kind of set up in order to leverage this in some ways. That's another great point, all the content that went out there. I mean, another thing is the kind of shift in methodology. We didn't see a lot of that, but I think a lot of people went from more in person to online, and that was an advantage for a lot of companies and a struggle for other companies, but that certainly happened, more, much, probably more so in the qualitative landscape. Yeah. I, I think it maybe forced – I would say it also forced some organizations into more technological advancements, whether it's their external offerings, like how you mentioned, like, hey, if I'm doing focus groups and I got to figure out how to do it online – that probably made that transition a lot quicker than maybe they were planning if they were, maybe they were taking baby steps into it and they had to go full all in, but right. then others of instead of working in offices, it's going virtual. I know there's a few organizations that have said, Hey, you know what? We're, we don't need an office building. We're going virtual now. Cause what's the point we've it's shown it works. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. This, this, we've yet to see what will happen with this, but I would think that, this opens up the world for a lot of people and the people that have been working remotely, which we have some that have worked remotely for a very long time, um, opens up a lot of opportunity for them. And as well as the companies that rethink what an office environment or how you work on a day-to-day basis, how you adjust to that. Yeah. Another great point. Yeah, absolutely. I would say one other piece on that, and it kind of ties back into how the industry responded. It opened that, opening up of opportunities because people have been working virtual or working from home, you weren't tied down to that smaller geographic location anymore when stuff was opening back, when people were starting to hunt. Like you didn't have, like for us, we didn't have to just look in the Cincinnati area. We, we could open it up. And I know others did as well. Like, Hey, we don't have to just look in California. Maybe our best person is out in Chicago or Nebraska or something like that. Like, Hey, now it gives you an opportunity to live where you want now, we, um, and then still work for company for companies you want to. Yes, um, and we've hired. I don't know how many people we've hired since this all started. I guess it's four or five. Um, but I know one person. No one in the company has met in person. Um, yep. A couple. We had an intern who started during the pandemic. Who um, maybe a handful of people met in person. We have another full-time employee, a project manager, who started you know, last May. And I know half the company hasn't met her in person. We hired a new person just this week. I'm not sure if anybody's met her in person. No, I don't think so. It's kind of a crazy, I mean, who would have thought that a year ago that you would hire a team of people without ever seeing them in person. You only see them behind a zoom camera, but you know, that's, that's the world we're in, you know? Yep. And who knows where they're at? It doesn't even matter anymore. That's one of the beauties of what's, one one of the few positives that's kind of come out of this is it doesn't matter where you're at as long as you get your job done and you can be on camera when you need to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Man, when we picked this topic, I didn't think we'd have 10 minutes on it. That was pretty good. Yeah. There's probably more. We could probably talk another 20 minutes on that. I know. I think there's a lot of other things we haven't hit. Yeah. But do we want to move on to the next one? Yeah, let's move on to the next one. Um when I'm reviewing this list, I have two. The second one is like a real legitimate one, and then the third one's more of a joke. So I'm going to set the expectation there. So this one is a, this is another positive. I thought in 2020, just a renewed emphasis on data quality, and which was needed as an industry, but we've all struggled with 
data quality respondents and surveys for quite a while. But now I think we're, we've got a lot of positive momentum and as because of the competitive landscape, which has changed. I mean, we still have Imperium, which has been kind of the gold standard in marketing research surveys for quite a while, especially after the acquisition of TrueSample. But they have relevant ID, they have Verity, they have real answer. Um, they have a lot of products and they've been around for a long time. Most panel companies probably utilize relevant ID and probably Verity. Um, they still are around. And then we had Sample Chain, which really emerged and started becoming like a powerhouse in, in insights and data quality. I should note that we have a Sample Chain license. So um, to our listeners, um, hopefully we're not being too biased, but we, we know those people really well and we have firsthand experience with them. But they've really emerged in, in, in the industry and we're happy for them and happy for the industry because we they're really driving positivity. And then you had Opinion Route, who has a couple products, Clean ID and Valid ID, that they've been working on for quite a while as well. And you know, we know we've heard positive feedback from clients that are utilizing them. But it used to be we only had one or two options in the industry. Uh, some people went external to marketing research to kind of figure out their data quality needs for uh, preventing fraud and things like that. But now we have a few that are really. I'm hoping there's an arms race and I'm hoping that these push each other to make each other better um, and taking features and benefits and technology advancements. I know they can't really work together too much, but I'm hoping that, um, you know, they're, they're all pretty apparent with what they're doing. So I'm hoping that the city gets better this year. And I talked a lot, Brian, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I'm going to comment on one thing first when you mentioned the arms race that you hope that it's going to be an arms race. I think we're already there. Yeah. I think that it the arms race probably started maybe 2019 and no one knew about it yet. Yes. But and it just became more prevalent near the end of 2020. And when we say the renewed emphasis on data quality, I think what really caused that was a perfect storm of things this year where we had that you know when the pan- when everyone went into lockdown in spring we we saw as an industry response rates are up everyone's home they'll take surveys but the demand was down well then we swung the other way come end of summer into fall where we saw that giant surge of demand as as like end clients and brands realized hey this isn't going anywhere anytime soon we still have to figure this out and stuff is changing but then with cuts having to do it because of the excess demand we had earlier, we had a we had limited supply, which caused that increase in data qual that increase in poor data quality that we were finding and more fraud, which then led to many organizations putting that emphasis on the data quality component. Yep. Which which then le- was the perfect storm for sample chain and opinion route, who I think are the two that are in that arms race at the moment, you're, it's almost a Android iPhone battle. You're, you're one or the other. Yeah. Good, good points. Um, by the way, we have a ton of information on our website about data quality. We put out so many blogs, webinars, I think multiple webinars, including one we partnered with sample chain. We had Andrew Moffat from opinion route on a podcast last year. We did a whole podcast series on data quality. Vignesh was on as well. We had a lot of clients, that joined us, how they think about data quality. So if data quality is something that you're concerned with, and if you're listening to this, you probably are, there's a whole series of stuff that I think is pretty valuable. You can kind of fast forward through us goofing off on, you know, whatever we goofed off on and get to the interviews, which are high quality, getting feedback from people that 
live and breathe data quality and marketing research and insights. Um, but yes, I, I, I agree with everything, everything you just said, Brian. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped for where this goes because we need it. And I, I've always said this, that I think that um, we're, we've limited our industry growth because of a poor perception of data quality. And if we can lift that perception and improve data quality, everybody wins. This is a one plus one equals three scenario where people will spend more money and opinion route will make more money the better the sample chain is and vice versa. And everybody wins if we can improve this just by 20 to 30% or 50% or, I mean, if we can get poor quality down to like really low numbers, people will spend more money and be more confident in the business decisions they make. So, um, you know, I know everybody's competing against each other, but um, I want to say that. And also, most every company is using a combination of tools, right? Yep. We have our own platform that we don't just use sample chain. We have a lot of other things on our proprietary, proprietary Swift platform to measure data quality. Most everybody does. You're not going with one tool. You're using a series of third-party partners that have different kind of benefits to them to create a suite that will help with data quality. And that's what we've done, and others have done that as well. Sample chain is one of those for us. Um, and then we depend on our partner network. And there's a million things. We can talk about data quality for, for days. But what did I miss, Brian? I think the only other piece is that we've seen a push now from the end client and brands for wanting the higher quality and then kind of saying that, hey, we're willing to pay a little more to get the better quality than trying to just sell on price. That's not always the case, but I think you're seeing more and more of that, which is another driver for improving data quality. Yes. Yes. And by the way, we probably left out some others. There's other companies out there that offer data quality that we didn't mention. Pure Spectrum is doing some awesome stuff with Mark Minig. Um, BizPinion is doing some cool stuff. Um, there's lots of other companies out there. That are, there's, those aren't the only few. And so we work with some of those companies. And I apologize if I left you out. But those aren't the only three in the industry. If you're listening to this, reach out and we can, if you want, we can give you the others. But um, there are more than three. There's a handful of others, and lots of companies are doing their own thing. Like we have our own dashboard, but we don't consider ourselves like a industry-wide platform. Um, you know, we we have it, it's proprietary for us, whereas sample chain anybody can kind of buy. Um, so I think we'll just leave it with that. I think so. Yep. And then the last one, the third trend, top stories of 2020, is this name change shenanigans, which I want to summarize. Like, what happened in 20, I guess it started in 2018, 2019, but 2020, we saw just this craziness of name changes. And, you know, here's a few. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss a ton. And some of these didn't occur last year, but I'm going to mention them. InfoScout became numerator. Federated Samples Lucid, ORC is Engine, LRW is Material, Coupons.com is Quotient, Active Measure became Disco, More Pace merged with MSI became Escalant, uh, obviously everybody knows Dynata, Alpha became Feedback Loop, Thrive Plan took over the Alpha name and became Alpha Diver, Survey Gizmo became Alchemer, Nielsen Global Connect, which is, I guess, their consumer side of their business, became Nielsen IQ, and Servada became Upwave. I'm probably missing out a dozen, if not two dozen more, many of which we had. We talked about almost every episode last year. But this, 
And I thought about this when I was preparing for this. It's a little bit of a joke that everybody's changing the name, but also re-repositioning ourselves. What this is is a repositioning for a lot of these companies to um, be more than just like a market research vendor. Whereas I think that as an industry, we had a lot of market research vendors. Now we're really insights consultants and we're going way beyond just, oh, here's your survey data. And because we're taking third-party data, we're taking uh, much more data than we did a few years ago, and more be, way beyond survey data. We're getting attitudinal behavioral data. We're partnering with each other on random third-party data that brands can utilize. And so while we joked around about it, when I summarize it, I think it's because of the repositioning of a lot of brands to become much more consultative, and they're not pigeonholed into this, I'm a market research vendor place. How do you feel about that, Brian? I think you got it pretty good. A lot of name changes are part of an overall branding change and then a repositioning. Because if you have had a name and you're trying to reposition to show yourself, maybe open up your open up your offerings, reposition to a different group, maybe that name doesn't carry the weight with that one, but it does with the other one. So may, it at that point, yeah, it's time to change. Or maybe it doesn't, like when some of them you mentioned – the old name doesn't tell what they do anymore. It's be, it's not encompassing enough. It may be like survey gizmo. Yeah, they're a survey. You can do it's DIY surveys, but it's not all they do anymore. So they right. felt that name was almost holding them back. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that was the third thing we saw. There's probably a million other things we didn't get. Maybe uh, we can. I have a I do have a surprise one for you, oh, yeah. and I think it's the the we'll call it. The polling of 2020. Okay. So, and I'll say with that, where we saw maybe some out of whack polls or maybe some anomalies in polling again, leading up to the election, uh, where you had some saying it's 10, 12, 15 point leads and turned out, I think it, what it ended up being five, six points overall. Yep. So... I, I think we had that. We still had that as a story, but I think it got drowned out by some of these other ones. Yeah. Um, we. I will say though, when we've chat uh, last year when we were chatting with Jeremy Zogby, they were talking about how they looked at their model and they were. He said theirs was their model showed six points, and he thought it was going to be closer. Turns out once all once everything's been tallied, they were pretty spot on. Yes, there were. I don't know what the current is, but I think it's about five points, right? Or yeah, and I think they points. said it was six. So yeah, so if that's within the margin of error. No, I agree with this topic that polling. I think polling did a great job this election. This is a tough election to predict. With I mean, we talked at length about all the challenges um, that poll pollsters face this year. Um, I think without the Trump effect, that, that hopefully it gets a little bit easier moving forward. Um, to predict elections, I think they did a really good job this year. And I would, I, you know me, I would call it out if they didn't do a good job. It was a tough election to predict. Um, even the states that were a little bit of a surprise, um, I guess that's Georgia and I don't know, maybe Arizona. Even a lot of those were within the margin of error for pollsters. You brought this up a little bit. I am, and I would love to know this. Maybe this is a case study years from now looking at. Georgia in particular, what internal polling was different that Biden and that team saw that was then external stuff was showing? Because you and I talked about this 
the couple podcasts leading up to the election. Like, what did he see that said, hey, Georgia, which had been red for 20 plus years, 25 years, what told him like, hey, you got an opportunity here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I just don't read. I'm not I'm into politics, but I didn't know this. But I think there this there's the Stacey Abrams effect. Ooh, yeah, that is hard to measure. And I didn't see coming. Maybe if you live in Georgia, you saw it coming or maybe if you're a pollster, you saw it coming. But I mean, this is a, certainly a roadmap moving forward. It's a blueprint on how to energize voters, how to flip a traditionally very red state into it's not even purple at this point it's blue and yeah. I, I assume pollsters i mean if most pollsters are probably like the zogbies that they live and breathe and they know all this stuff way beyond the common even people like us that are kind of into it but um but to me that was the staggering learning for me when i started thinking about georgia is what happened and i mean stacy abrams gets a lot of credit for that and that's that's uh, how you account for that in polling moving forward. It's going to be tough. You have to think she's going to have a bigger role in the national Democratic Party. Oh, yeah. Whether it is like maybe the Democratic chair in the next couple of years or something because of that. Because I've seen a lot on Twitter that it is being attributed to her and her tactics of getting people out there, whether it's getting them registered or and getting them out to vote because they said the turnout – for the for a January election was like they were the results for Warnock and Osef were higher than in the November election for right. Biden. It's really crazy. That's amazing. Yeah, and so she, losing the governor race in Georgia is probably the best thing that ever happened to her. And if you're oh, a Democrat, yeah. maybe for all Democrats, because I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Nothing, nothing like somebody scorned who's just going to say, "All right, fine." Right. Exactly. I'm gonna burn this down. Right. Oh, good, good bonus topic. Yeah, I just thought about that when we were halfway through that second one. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, I think just think we have the one announcement we want to talk about. It is you. You are going to be speaking at oh, the yeah. MRIA event coming up a week from the seventh. So, what is that? The fourteenth. You're going to be on or sixteenth. Uh, when is that? That is the 14th. The 14th. So from 9 to 1 p.m., I think is what it is. It's a free event. We'll post the link to sign up for it in our show notes, but it is about our polls obsolete. You're going to be talking uh, overall polling, data quality, that kind of stuff. And you, you're on a pretty hefty lineup there. Yeah, I'm on a pretty hefty lineup. And so... I mean, good job for Arundhati, who was on the podcast, who's, I mean, if you listen to that podcast, you saw how she wants to give back to the industry and really wants to build up. And she's, she's, this is a Canadian organization. So I'm excited. You're probably excited for that as well. It's um, Thursday, the 14th, nine to one Eastern. And there's a lot of awesome speakers, but the session that that I am in is in the afternoon. um, And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get to specifically what I'm going to be talking about here. Um, but I'm talking about how online sample selection can affect accuracy and polling. And this is at 11.05 to 11.30. And this is kind of a sampling and data quality section of the of it. Um, Melanie Courtright, obviously a big name. It's an honor to be even listed with her. Um, she's speaking on the layers of bias, 
Paul Netto, who has also been on the podcast, is uh, from Measure Protocol. He's going to be speaking up from the other side, the case for trust, transparency, and privacy. Um, love Paul, love Measure Protocol. So it'll be interesting to see what they talk about. But you have a lot of Canadian. There's a lot of like more academic type speakers um, in the morning, along with somebody from Leger and um, uh, Remesh is a sponsor and Quirks is involved in this. And um, I think it'll be awesome. Um, so it's free event too. And so I think it's the first kind of a big event of the year. And I think you'll learn a lot about um, sampling 101 and polling, which should really resonate with everybody, whether you work in polling or just more consumer-based marketing research. But, you know, trust, accuracy, and data quality, I mean, that should resonate with everybody. So I hope that you can um, join I hope that you'll enjoy my little eight minutes on um, how online sample selection can affect accuracy in polling. Finished the deck yesterday, and I'm pretty excited about it. I'm going to try to get through nine slides in nine minutes, and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, and what you don't know is I have been talking to Erin Dottie, and we're going to have her on after this event to give us a recap coming up. Oh, awesome. Yeah, cool. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it, and um, not zoomed out yet. <laughs> so. I'm ready to get back in person, but I'm also excited to kind of um, still do these um, conferences on Zoom. Yeah. See, I did not do any sort of Zoom calls for two weeks, and it was glorious. Yeah. I did, I did a few, um, but, man, I'm ready to get back in person. I'll tell you what. Yeah. And this is coming yeah. from somebody that's a little bit more introverted, but I am ready. to. I can't wait to jump on a plane and go to some city and um, – get in an Uber and go to some random hotel. And, and that's, I can't wait to do that. Hey, I, Hey, we have a light at the end of the tunnel here. Yeah. This Back year out. we're doing it. This summer, this summer, <laughs> it's going to open up. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about conference. Maybe next episode, we'll talk about 2021 conferences. We'll start that discussion. That's a good. We'll point. start early. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Anything else, Brian? That is it. Awesome. Well, Hey, reach out to us. Um, please do with a song choice. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Or if not, Brian's going to probably win this. Um, he's a, he's probably going to win any tiebreaker. So if you hate Walk This Way, definitely reach out. Um, if you love Walk This Way, reach out. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs> <laughs>